Oh, she's still gone. Getting a water now. <laughs> this is like the longest blowing of the nose ever. I know. I'm like, wait, she just had to blow her nose. Shayna. Are you okay? <laughs> What's happening? It changed the font. What do you mean? Shayna's changing my agenda. That stays there. That goes here. And now we're changing the font so that it blends because they don't let you paste and match style. Okay, that's okay. replacing. All right, are we ready? Yes. Yes, okay. Hey everybody, we are back with too many men. As always, I am Allison Lucan, and I am joined by the intrepid, investigative, but yet forever optimistic in the face of a challenge, Sarah Sivian. Sarah, how are you today? I'm fantastic. Happy to be back with you guys, enjoying the off season. Excellent. And another wonderfully, tremendously talented athletic writer, joins us as always with her new jewelry intact representing her favorite word it is shana goldman shana say hi hi y'all we know that nhl hockey is happening but nhl hockey is not the only hockey in the world so we wanted to go around the sport as a whole and just cover some headlines for you some things that are going down in the hockey universe these days and a couple awards got handed out. There's always this weird, like right before a game starts, which everyone's focused on, then we're supposed to stop and like celebrate this massive irregular season NHL award. So first up over the weekend, Carrie Price of the Montreal Canadiens is awarded. I always pronounce this stupid award the wrong way, the Masterton Award, which goes to the player who perseveres in the face of adversity and a and shows a dedication to hockey. We know that Carrie has had a really difficult year, has hardly seen ice in general, um, and has been working through and open about working through both physical and then some substance abuse slash mental health issues. Um, Sarah, you obviously have a vote for these awards. Give us your take on Carey Price's season and his deservedness for, for this award this year. Yeah, I voted for him, number one, Chris Kreider, number two, and Kevin Hayes, number three, all for different reasons. This is kind of a vague and open-ended award, so I do understand that we all have our different interpretations of it, and that is pretty cool sometimes, but I do think it was weird that only two Montreal voters had him on their ballots at all. And there was one number one and num one number three. So I don't know what that's about. Not going to try to analyze that. But I do think Price plays in such a huge hockey hub. And for him to kind of come forward saying he's dealing with substance abuse issues and mental health, I, I that was the number one selling point for me for him to win this because I just think he could have kept that to himself. He could have been kind of more vague about it, but he was brave in saying it. And um, I just think we need more people who like, I, I know so many hockey players looked up to Carey Price growing up and then they look up to their hero and he's still their hero when he has been dealing with these things. And it's, it kind of 
breaks the stigma that this only happens to weak individuals or whatever it is. And I think it keeps the conversation going. That's why I'm proud of my friend Trip Tracy, colors, color commentator of the Hurricanes, for doing the same and being open about it. I think, it, especially in hockey, having these people come forward with these things and seeing the response, mostly talking about it in a positive way, I think it has really been helpful. I don't know. And I, I think that's the representation of this award. Shana, your thoughts on Carrie Price? I agree. I think to come out and say, like in sports, we know it's not accepted always to talk about mental health, especially when you play for the Montreal Canadiens, who, I mean, especially under the previous regime, I feel like that's something that maybe wouldn't have. I don't want to say not been taken seriously enough, but I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of pressure, especially when you're in such an important role. We know the pressure that has been put on players to play through things and help them, whatever. Like, Carrie Price is their most important player for the last 10 years. We all know it. So for him to to do that, for a position that's so tough to replace if he's not there, even more so, like, it just shows that, like, one, it can happen, you know, anybody can feel that they need help, and it's a good thing if they go for it. And if a player like Carrie Price can do it, considering his importance on the ice, and we know how much players don't want to miss time or put their team at a disadvantage, like, you have to put yourself first, and he did that, and it was so important that he did, and it was nice to see he had the support of his team. So, you know, I think that's, that is a good way to celebrate this award that sometimes gets the picks for it get a little bit murky on what this is all about, and I think this is what it should be all about. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I certainly, I, I think that the Carey Price choice is exceptional. Um, but, you know, I saw an interesting tweet, I believe it was Andrew Berkshire who said this, um, that because just as Sarah said, like, there's, there are criteria for this award, but like sometimes you have someone who's dealing with a health issue versus someone who's dealing with a physicality issue versus whatever. And I feel like sometimes we're, we're trying to compare apples to oranges and there are many, many qualified candidates to be honored. And Andrew's comment was there shouldn't be one that each team should honor their own nominee and that those individuals should be celebrated each of the 32 and let's call it a day. But this is where we're at. So I completely agree with you. I felt so weird putting Kevin Hayes third and Carrie exactly. first. I shouldn't have to pick between two guys that persevered, one through mental and physical health, one through physical health and the death of his awesome brother. So I just feel like I want to honor both those people. That's right. Exactly. In other news, an award that I'm particularly fond of, even though the voters don't always get it right. Uh, the Selkie Award winner was announced also earlier over the weekend. And for a record-setting fifth time, it is literally the Boston Bruins legend, Patrice Bergeron. Sarah, you're from that area. You followed the Bruins. Tell us about this player. Tell us why he is deserving. And tell us what it means for someone to have won this award five times. Yeah. It's the consistency, and it's one of those things like when we watch Connor McDavid and he's so good that we kind of start to underrate him. It's like Bergeron, and he keeps going, and he's older now, and he's still – he put up one of his best seasons ever with um, Selkie things like face-offs and Corsi and thing, fun Selkie things like that that we talk <laughs> about. And, yes, this is a very vague, tough 
award to vote on. I voted for him this year. Last year he was in, I think he was top, he was number three on my ballot and people were like, why don't you vote him number one? I'm like, there's other candidates too. But this year he was number one. I gave him the number one vote. Um, I, I think it's incredible what he's doing and continuing to do. He's got a few years left in the tank for sure. So I was going to ask if you think this is the final year or not. Apparently, you know, he is dealing with some injuries, so we'll see what, what and how he comes back, but hopefully he does come back. We, we deserve to be able to enjoy more of his play. Shayna, what impresses you about Bergeron, not just this year, but his career as a whole? I think what's so cool is that if you look at the award either way, which gets talked about a lot, is a defense, is a two-way play. He legitimately was the number one player for both this year. And when you think about that consistency year over year, it's so impressive. We know that players, you know, as they age, their their play, you know, tends to trend down. And I think defense is an area that can get hurt too. And he's just kept his play. You know, every single way you might want to measure defense, whether it's just not allowing scoring chances against, not allowing shots against, um, making stick checks to keep you know, the puck off your opponent's stick and takeaways and zone exits, every single which way, like, he nails it. And if you think you have to be a center, which a lot of people do because of, you know, the defense of that position, like, it's Bergeron, and there's a reason his name's associated with it. Like, the last 10 years, it's always been Taves, Kopitar, and Bergeron, and at times, not all deservingly so. But for Bergeron, it tends to be deservingly so, and now here he is doing it when... He should be in the later stages of his career, not one of the best either defensive centers or two-way centers in the league, still going against top competition and crushing it. Yeah, I also want to say yesterday Bergeron said the only reason he's considering what to do and mulling over his future is because his contract's up. So if his contract had a few more years with the Bruins, he'd still be there. So I think he's going to come back. Outstanding. Outstanding. Um, some other just men's hockey news. This was announced Monday by the individual himself. This is a player I had the pleasure of covering for the majority of his career. Matt Calvert, um, who saw time with Columbus and then obviously Colorado, uh, announced on Monday that he is opening his own sports management agency. Um, and to quote Matt Calvert, um, and a tweet from his agency. It is born on the shared values of honesty and authenticity. It's time to get started. There's information on his sport management business at calsportsmanagement.com. I don't know that we have a ton more to say on this other than I think it's cool. And Matt Calvert has been um, an impressive player to me, not just in what he did on the ice, but also how he would think and talk and share his thoughts about the game. Um, so I just wanted to wish him luck. I don't know if either of you have anything you want to chime in there. I think it's super cool. I totally support what he's doing. I think I, we saw a couple weeks ago, Naomi Osaka announced she was going to open up her own agency because it's not that professional agents don't know how to represent players, but sometimes players know what's best for them and look at things differently from how it's been done and can learn from their experiences and then try to like impart that on others. And I think that's great. I think in hockey, fresh voices are absolutely welcome. And he seems like a player who brings a thoughtful voice to the conversation. Absolutely. And there's so much news, not just with social media that people care about that, but you can brand yourself as a player. And that's kind of a different thing that maybe some agencies don't always understand. So I'm curious to see where he goes with that. Awesome. Awesome. And then uh, this was something that came out of Elliot Friedman's 32 thoughts. Um, I saw it called out specifically by Ben Pope, who covers the Blackhawks for the Sun-Times. 
Uh, but Dominic Zrim, who was one of the co-founders of, I'm sure one of everyone in hockey's most important resources, and that is Cap Friendly. Dominic Zrim was one of the co-founders of Cap Friendly. He had been hired as the Blackhawks manager of hockey strategy last summer, which at the time was certainly a big get, obviously a very talented, very focused individual. Uh, Zrim resigned from the Hawks shortly after Rocky Wirtz's outburst at the February town hall. Um, so I personally just appreciate Zrim taking that stand and being willing to put his professional path in line with what did and didn't matter to him. Um, and I think, you know, as Ben Pope pointed out as well, this is just another thing on the list of negatives that have come out of this situation from the Blackhawks, obviously nowhere near the impact of the individuals who were directly harmed and abused. Um, but the, the fallout continues. Sarah, any thoughts? I completely agree with you. And I think for a long time in hockey and in any career, people, the higher ups that have been there forever are kind of telling you, oh, just shut your mouth and you can move up in the rankings and you can take this job later on. And it hasn't always worked out that way. So why not? It takes so much bravery in the face of all these people telling you you're never going to be anything if you quit or whatever it is that they're trying to tell you that he took this stance. And I think this is exactly what we need in hockey. We need more people, younger people with their voices and understanding of situations like these being able to take their power and say, no, I am confident I can find a different job in doing it. Like, it's got to be scary, but... I really have respect for that and an appreciation for that because it paves the way for others like us to do so. Shana, any comment? Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's so important to do what's best for you. I know everyone in hockey would be like, it's always we before me. And like, yes, that's important. But taking care of yourself is also important. And being, you know, where someone where somewhere where you're morals align is important I don't blame anybody who didn't turn to the Blackhawks and be like fuck this I'm out of here too because there is an idea too like you can't help them be better if you let the organization stay filled with shit you have you want to be a part of the solution and I don't fault anybody for that but I most definitely respect anybody that goes I cannot stay in a situation when you see what's going on and this is someone who is a legitimate asset to any team, any any team, to an agency, to management, to the league as a whole, to the public as we know. So, you know, I, I'm very excited to see what he does next. Awesome. Awesome. Well, there is also a whole bunch of stuff happening in the women's game, and we wanted to make sure to talk about that. Um, first, let's go to the pro side. And on the pro side, in news that is particularly dear to my heart, uh, reported by Jeff Merrick this weekend, there's been some goaltender shifting happening um, in the PHF. Cassidy Sove, a tremendously talented goaltender who played, she did, this, was, this is her first pro outing. She had pre uh, previously been on the, on the non-league side is moving to the Buffalo Buttes. And Carly Jackson is now reportedly going to Toronto. So some changes in net there. And then there has been a lot of movement and noise around player salaries. Um, both women's professional organizations are dealing with an, or are managing an influx of cash where they're gonna be able to play 
pay players with the goal ultimately being to give these individuals a living wage playing the game that they love. We're starting to find some interesting times here because much like on the men's side where salaries are reported, terms are disclosed, we've started to see some of this reporting, but then there's been a little bit of backtracking. Shana, this is a world that you follow very closely. Um, we are all friends and fans of Mike Murphy, who does tremendous work in this space. Bring us up to speed with this issue. Where are we in the total disclosure and clarity of what's going on with players' salaries? And what does this tell us about where the sport and the game is as a whole right now? So this is really interesting because if you narrow in on the PHF, their cap obviously jumped forward. So player salaries are not going to be the same. It, you know, There's a different equivalency when you increase the cap. And even if a player's contract, you, you know, let's say you wanted to keep it the same and just extend, that extension now should be more valuable, you know, comparable cap hit percentage. And it's really interesting because there isn't a league-wide way of getting this public like there is in, you know, men's hockey. And that's something that's been talked about a lot. Like, do fans want this? And the league was like, no. And we were all like, well, you're wrong. Like, people want this information. Should it be public? And in one way... I can see from the general manager's side saying they wouldn't want this information to be public because it sets a bar. If a number one goalie, let's say, makes $70,000 in the PHF and that's your elite tier, now if you want to sign an elite tier goalie, you have to match that, exceed that. That's the bar a player expects. So I can understand that. But I was having a conversation with friend of the pod, Jeff Merrick, the other day, and he, we were talking about this and you know he gave me a different perspective and that's the leagues were so excited to announce that they got this influx of cash and now they have so much money to spend around that they should want the public to know what they have. They should be saying, look, we can pay a number one center X number of dollars, sign here, look at us. We're taking the money that we brag so much about and now we're using it to build teams. And that is such a wonderful thing too. And, you know, my thought on that was also if you're looking at the two competing entities and you want to sway someone over, if you're saying, look, hey, we're paying the X position this and, you know, it can help them out in a way because, you know, two leagues at the same time will, you know, push everyone to be better and meet the same standards or it'll show you what your value is. If you're not getting it there, you have another option. So it's going to be really interesting to see how much this does or doesn't go public moving forward because, for so many reasons, sure, general managers might not want that. You know, I, I'm sure in the NHL it's the same way. You don't want the market price set per position. You know, this is, this is information that helps the players. So I have an idea of something I'm going to do and related to uh, NHL cap data on positions and kind of see if there is a bar we can set per position of like the core of a team and how every team distributes their, you know, distributes their cap is going to be different. But it's a really interesting situation here. Sarah, just watching two new leagues trying to figure out how they manage their business in what is obviously a public space and with the spotlight being here because these are women's leagues. What's your take on the situation? Should we be pushing for more of this to be public? What Do we understand maybe the barriers that the organizations are, are feeling in terms of putting everything out there and totally opening the best? I, I think I can sympathize a little bit with like starting something good and needing to sort it out a little bit. But at the same time, I think we need to hold these people accountable to, and do what they actually say they're going to do. Like there needs to be 
definitely there needs to be transparency. I, I think there's no harm in making these things public unless there's something shady going on, you know? Shana, I mean, you, you outlined the whole issue here too. Do we have a sense if where the players fall on this and what, what their feeling is? Because it was my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong here, but some of this initial reporting was coming from the players themselves in terms of sharing some of the terms of new contracts. Uh, I think this is going to be interesting to see where fl players fall on this because in one way, I do wonder if a player, let's say, makes gets an $80,000 deal, which is significant, like it shortchanges what the rest of the team can be built around them. Maybe they don't want that public. Like, I don't know if that's going to be an opinion. Or on the other hand, how much a player, I'm sure general managers are going to lowball players. We, we heard reporting out about this already, you know, for some, but it, it, it's only natural in this process for a team to try to get those team-friendly deals in. So it's going to be interesting to see if there isn't that bar set. Like, how do you understand what you're supposed to make in this? And it's this is this is why a players association is so important. Obviously, for the PHF side of the conversation, I know we're not talking as much about the PW because there are some details that are still being worked out, and I'm sure we will get there. But for the PHF side, we we know about what's gone on with the players association, and they took step forward, step back. There was changing of hands, so it's so important that they have that support because there needs to be someone advocating for them to get what they're paid. And, you know, some players don't have representation. Some do. Um, there are agents out there who give general terms of what a player's contract is, even if it's not specifics. You know, we'll hear a player signed for around, you know, whatever the dollars are. And there's a lot of questions I have on some of the financials. And I do hope we find out details, not just because I'm curious, because I think it legitimately will help players out there. I think it's so important for there to be transparency. As much as that's like the biggest thing we hear about. We hear about progress in the women's game with these leagues. And sometimes there are questions about how they got to the end result and any transparency is good. And it's like, don't make the mistakes the NHL has made that we've all criticized. What do you think? Exactly. Sarah? And you know what? Like sometimes we criticize women's sports because they need to be perfect and they need to not be like the other leagues. But at the same time, it is a professional sports league. We're allowed to, they're allowed to kind of stumble along the way and figure something out. But at the same time, I think transparency is a legitimizing factor in these leagues because it, it adds a whole layer of coverage that you can do with contracts and kind of like moving like salary, like what, Mike does. I think it's so huge for fans to connect with players and to connect with teams and to see, okay, who's going where, who might be able to like go here. I, I think it's such an important part of the game and sometimes being a fan for some people that it, uh, transparency would attract more fans. Well, a hundred percent. And speaking of building that fan base, on the amateur level, as we shared with you earlier this week, the women's U18s have started. You can watch them on ESPN Plus or on the NHL Network for the quarterfinals, semifinals, and the finals. And this is interesting because, you know, first of all, this is where talent starts to get identified, where talent has the opportunity to develop, obviously has the, the pleasure and honor of being able to play for their countries. But this is also about exposure. And Sarah just talked about that. And 
here's what gets me really fired up. And I'm going to share just a, a few highlights from a tweet thread that came from Nicole Haas, who, for those of you who don't know her, she is a freelance journalist. Um, she covers the women's game exclusively for the USCHO and the Victory Press. She is one of the go-to names in the college game. Um, and with the U18s being canceled earlier and that being such big news and everyone jumped on that and everyone wanted to talk about, oh, look how the women's tournament got canceled. When the tournament got rescheduled and I'm reading from Nicole's tweets, quote, I want to be fully transparent. I queried a number of outlets to cover this tournament for them. I specifically pulled up outlets that had covered the cancellation. I received one no due to funding and radio silence from everyone else. And then she goes on to detail how she is basically getting herself to the tournament and is literally leaving her day job Monday, this was Monday, leaving at 5.30, going to cover the game, spending the night there, and then leaving at 5.30 in the morning the next day to get back to her day job. And this is someone who couldn't even find an outlet to pay for her coverage and total transportation of all of those outlets that certainly jumped on the news that the tournament was canceled. So where do we want to start with this, Sarah? <laughs> I have been thinking about this a lot. First of all, Nicole is the best and she is just on top of everything. And I've been thinking about this a lot when it comes to women's hockey and the growth of it is it's great that there are more men's hockey reporters jumping in and getting scoops and trying to understand and trying to report this news, but at the same time, it's never going to compare to the full coverage that people who have been covering the league for years and solely want to cover the league, uh, specific, the leagues, I guess, the women's, women's hockey, we'll call it that. Um, it's not going to compare to their coverage and their knowledge and their passion. And I just think I worry about the kind of bigger reporters swallowing them whole and the bigger publications wanting women's hockey coverage but not willing to dish out money for true coverage of it and it worries me and i when here's where transparency comes in the clutch again with nicole i'm really glad that she shared what that's what that has been like for her and it just worries me shana yeah i agree i think everybody is so attracted to the drama of what goes on and if you're going to cover the bad, you have to cover the good, and the good is what goes on in these games. Um, it's a really fine line to walk because I do think it's super important, like, bring him up again, but Jeff Mar Marek, when he started reporting women's hockey on, on Sportsnet, on Hockey Night in Canada, which is a very big deal in my opinion, especially when it was relating to the PHF that I don't think gets nearly as much coverage in Canada, I think it adds... Not that his reporting legitimizes it, but it brings it to the men's audience. This was going on on a Saturday night of an NHL game. I think it's important that people like him take the time to invest in women's sports and, you know, bring it into their repertoires and add to it. I think the people who do the work day to day deserve so much credit because it is so hard to do it, especially when the funding isn't there and this can't be everyone's primary job when you want it to be we're covering the nhl primarily like it would be nice that someone who does the same amount of work with a lot less to work with because there aren't the same resources gets you know that that same that same amount of money to do it for a living instead of balancing it you know with other jobs like nicole is doing i think there's so much value in the work of mike murphy and michelle J, and there are incredible people covering women's sports 
um, yeah, it's and she had that GoFundMe too to get her to the Olympics, right? right. Yep, yep, and it's it's so disappointing that places are willing to cover, and I understand dedicating coverage to the big deals, and U18s getting canceled was a big fucking deal and deserved every bit of coverage it could get. But now the players are here and playing, and these players are the future of Team USA, who, let's face it, at the Olympics, four years come around, everyone's going to acknowledge women's sports once more. Guess what? You should learn who the players are beforehand so you have experience talking about them. That means investing in, NC- investing in NCAA coverage and U18s and the World Championships in between it and the leagues where these players play and develop for years. So there is, even if it's not the ideal way of women's hockey and things are still fragmented and not how everyone feels it should be. This is how it is. If you want it to get better from here, you need to take the time and invest in it and give them the publicity they deserve and that they've earned so that they can keep building. The more eyes you get on women's hockey, the better. So it's really disappointing to see that, you know, there's not that same willingness to cover U18s as there is everything else. And hopefully it gets a decent amount of coverage and people Take the time to read the people's work who are doing it, like Nicole's and like the work that I'm sure will be done at the Ice Garden and Victory Press and everywhere else. And then keep up that energy because Women's Worlds is in August. Like there's more women's hockey than there's going to be seasons for the professional leagues. Like just keep paying attention and investing. When you see someone who writes about it too, support it, retweet it, click it. Make sure you read it. Scroll through the whole thing. You like it? Share it. It is basic stuff. It is common decency if you like someone's work to support it. And that's how you should with this. And don't tell me that you don't have resources to send to U18s or to cover it. Did you see how many freaking reporters were in Buffalo this weekend to watch 18-year-olds ride a bike, jump on a plate, and do pull-ups? I think the media should have to participate. I mean, seriously. like Oh, yeah. God bless. And I listen, I am sure that smarter people than me, there is tons of value that comes out of the combine. I can't think of anything I would want to watch less. And <laughs> I can't think of anything that if I was doing it, I would want people to watch me doing it. No, less. the media needs to participate in this. This is my yeah. new theory. If you want to cover the combine, unless you have a legitimate doctor's note out of it, and maybe since, you know, some writers might not be able to participate, some are players who couldn't play because of their injuries. Sure, sure, sure. You need to get out on that fucking bike and have a combine for the media. This is my theory. I want to know who's the best at this. I want the players to ask them the most degrading and stupidest fucking questions and then judge them for the next 20 fucking years of their career based on how they answered whether they would reach their hand into a toilet for money. Like, literally, whoever came up with that question, I'm... Nope, not saying it. I'm going to stop myself. I'm going to stop myself. I'm not getting us in trouble. You can exhale. Whoever thinks of these questions, though, needs to think about whether they would want to be answered those questions or how it's always done constantly. Would you want your children to be facing those questions? Because that's the question everyone has to run through their head instead of how to be a decent human being. But here's, but here's the thing. Like, my point is, and I get there is a relationship, yes. but there literally couldn't be a weekend full of things that are more removed from actual hockey than the combine, right? My favorite and, and- takeaway, my favorite takeaway was that there's no, nobody has tattoos anymore because of the yeah. <laughs> Like, seriously, okay. someone, like, and listen, I am thrilled that people who are passionate about that get to go cover it. But to the points earlier, if you're passionate about it, think about if you didn't have the opportunity to go cover that stuff that you're passionate about. It, someone was literally paid to report what the questions were asked of the players in their team interviews, 
how many push-ups players did, and then to assess the number of tattoos on these young men coming through this combine. So there, A, you've already told us you understand the value in covering players before they make the big time, number one. And B, you got a ton of bodies who can go around and cover this game. And so the U18s for the women are just as important, if not more so than a combine, and equally as important as U18s for men. And if people can't understand the difference between surging to report that the U18s were canceled and then never closing the feedback loop to say, hey, they're back on and here's how we're gonna continue to update on that and what that tells the casual viewer about the state of women's sports, please let me know. We will have a deeper conversation on that. But mm -hmm. this, this sport in all of its flavors at all of its levels deserves coverage. And if you as an outlet are gonna open the door to say, we're gonna report on this event when bad things happen, as Shana and Sarah both have already said, when that thing gets rectified and the opportunity is now there that you were so upset about, you must cover that as well. Yep, and we know how the men's side of this gets invested in. And let's not act like men's U18s and world juniors and everything else was always a moneymaker. It was not. You have to spend a little to get a little something back. So if you want to spend time focusing on men's U18s, because these are the players that are going to go move up the ranks, you have so many ways that you can watch them and invest in them. If you want that, you have to do it for the women as well. If you're going to talk about 50 OHL games and the WHL and every junior league, do it for the women. Yep. This is, we're not even, and I don't even think we're asking for much. We're not saying follow every single college career, every, the big tournaments deserve coverage. Cover U18s, cover the world championships, cover the NCAA tournament. This is not hard. You want to jump in when it's bad? You have to cover the good as well because it's not mm -hmm. fair to them. And it, like, there are people who are trying to do it saying, I will do this. I will do this. Just hand me a little bit of money. Invest in my time just a little bit and it will look good for you. Yep. And companies are just like, no. Cool. Good business. So, Great job. So that's where we are. Um, we encourage you to continue to watch these games, to continue to, as Shana said, take in the content produced by those who are covering this tournament. Um, and we encourage everyone to realize that hockey is hockey, again, in all of its flavors at all of its levels. And if you're interested in it, you should explore all of it to the degree to which you can. Um, there's one more bit of hockey news on the women's side at the senior level, at the amateur side, at Team USA, a new head coach joins John Roblewski, I'm going to butcher this, John Robleski, Robleski, I apologize, um, replacing Joel Johnson. I don't know that we know much about John, but I think we all know that Joel's head coaching foray was perhaps not what we had expected in terms of his ability to deploy his roster talent based on what we saw at the Olympics. So we'll look forward to what this coaching change does. Sarah, any thoughts there? Yeah, I, yeah, that was puzzling there at the end uh, with the goalie situation. So we, I would I, we'll Justice for Jincy Dunn, justice for Jincy yeah. Dunn. Yeah, yeah, justice for Jincy, that's all, say that. And I hope to look forward to that. Shane, any thoughts? Well, speaking of Nicole, she did put out some details about the new head coach and um, how he seems like, you know, he hasn't coached women's hockey. So there's always a question of how they'll, uh, you know, adopt to it and you know how they'll work with the women's game. But 
you know, he seems like a coach who knows how to play to his player's strengths, which is super important because that is something the Team USA did not do. So if they can figure out a good way to distribute ice time so their players aren't totally worked by the time they make it to the finals, that would be wonderful and recognize that other players have strengths that would help their team. Um, That would be nice if they practice their power play once in a blue moon because their power play was bad despite having skill. That would also be nice. But there's if there's a changing of the guard from the old core who, yes, they still play important roles, but bringing in new blood and new talent. And yes, sitting on the bench at the Olympics gains experience technically of being at the Olympics, but it does not gain experience on how to actually play at the Olympics, which is what they need to do. So ideally, this is a coach who can come in and start working with these players to figure out everyone's strengths and how they can connect at Worlds because they're going to be going up against a super skillful gold medal winning Team Canada. So I'm intrigued. Um, I really do wish we saw more women getting these opportunities coaching, but I am not going to shut the door on John yet. I'd like to see what he could do because the bar is through the floor after the last regime. Excellent. Well, my friends, that was the bit O news that we had for you. Um, a long list, but a good list. Um, we always try and bring in some of those headlines in addition to the on ice action. Um, my friends, did I miss anything? You're asking two people that miss some things if you've missed anything. I love when you do that. Yeah. <laughs> you would be the one to know. But yeah, seriously. We trust you. Implicitly with everything. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, we will be back soon um, with more NHL action. We're still trying to find a time for a, a game watch. We will definitely make that happen here soon as much as we can. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at two underscore much underscore man. Give us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Sarah thinks that's very important for me to remind <laughs> you of that. And I don't want to make her have to remember to say it. So there you go. Um, and also, if you haven't already, check out our merch. Link is in our show notes. Link is in our bio. Link is on our website, which is the two, which is too many men pod.com. You can get t-shirts, you can get sweatshirts, you can get fanny packs, you can get cups, coolers, stickers, every little thing your heart desires. Represent TMM worldwide. Send us a pic. And in the meantime, until we talk again, remember racism is bad, sexism is bad, and it is Pride Month. We stand, as always, aligned and in support of all of our friends in the LGBTQIA plus community. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. We love ya. Bye. <laughs>